welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey, and I'm joined uh, this evening by uh, creative uh, in, in many kinds, uh, but uh, they are uh, lead vocalist for the uh, eclectic indie pop band Dust, um, who have, are working on a new on a record called Schemes for Growth. Uh, the first three tracks are out uh, on Bandcamp. Uh, but they are also involved in yoga, art, um, uh, visual art, photography, uh, travel, teaching, um, <laughs> lots of, a lot, lot of um, titles. Uh, but I'm excited to talk to them about uh, their passions, artistry, and why they do what they do. Uh, thank you very much, Ray, for joining me today. Thank you, Ben. I'm honored to be here. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm... Very glad you could be a part of it. Uh, how uh, how are you? How's your day today? Oh, pretty good. Mondays are traditionally, at least in the last nine months, kind of a more restful day for me. So I've really just enjoyed the sunshine. Sometimes with my cats, just looked at the lake a bit today. <laughs> good. Oh, I, I bet it was. Um, I bet the lake was very scenic, uh, especially with all the light breaking up and stuff. Yeah, really nice to hear the sound of the waves again and just see all the people out just like enjoying. And you know, it's Milwaukee, so people are out there and they're short, they're tank tops. It's 55, yeah. it's hot out. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is shorts weather, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe in 40, we're getting to shorts weather. So, <laughs> yeah. I actually just saw a tweet just like right before this episode. Um, I just saw a tweet that like someone said that they saw someone in the water at Bradford. <laughs> Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Oh, I, no I, I definitely believe it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, it's a beautiful day. Um, I went on a walk through Oak Leaf Trail earlier and the, the river is starting to definitely thaw and the, uh, the rapids are roaring, um, <laughs> which is uh, always like a very, uh, it's thrilling to, to see like, um our environment slowly waking back up you know it's awakening it's a beautiful thing and with it the people as well and everyone needs it a little more this year so it's great <laughs> and, and the dogs a lot of dogs out definitely and cats yeah and cats. yeah you mentioned you you got some cats yourself uh tell I me do. about your cats I do walk my cats. They started out just being exposed to the outdoors and then gradually over the years, the summer being the first summer, they go on full on hikes with us. So, and I've seen people, today I didn't hike my cats, but there was some people out walking with their cats as well. And I'm glad that it's being more normalized because <laughs> they need yeah. to be out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I grew up with cats my whole life. Uh, we never let them outside. But I do, I definitely see a lot of uh, felines walking around, like, uh, <laughs> depending on which block of River West, like, there's a lot of cats that roam, um, yes. but a lot of them seem pretty assertive, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what are your cats' names? Um, I have Zales, which is short for Azalea, named after Azalea Banks, um, and Phineas, I didn't name him, he just... Um, the first apartment that my partner and I moved in together, he was there waiting for us. And so he hmm. became our cat. <laughs> wow, that's 
That's wholesome. <laughs> he was under the bathtub and my friend who was moving out of there was like, I can't take him with. I'm like, just leave him there. And then we looked, we're like, I don't see him. And then, yep, sure enough, under the bathtub, just waiting. And uh-huh. my, I had lost my other previous cat, Sukyan, named after Sukyan Stevens. So Zales kind of needed a partner and now she has one. So. Oh, that's <laughs> sweet. Oh. <laughs> well, shout out to Zales and Phineas. Woo! Uh, <laughs> Um, so, so Ray, what we talk about in Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity. And so I don't know if you remember this, but we have met. Um, yeah. I, I interviewed you for, <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Yeah. I, it was like two years ago now. Yeah. Can you believe that? I can't. It seems like just yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. I, um, I remember Dust opened for uh, Cream Vellum at their EP release party at High Dive about two years ago. I talked to you uh, for breaking and entering and uh, heard a little bit about uh, what your project is all about. And I remember it definitely stuck stuck out to me because the band is, the instrumentation is just very um, uh, different than conventional like band format where like (laughs) there's a tuba player um who is there instead of bass or is the bass yeah <laughs> and uh, I thought that was super wicked um and uh, yeah and I I listened to uh what you have on Bandcamp um and it, I, I really like your songs uh they're very pretty and elegant and I'm looking forward to talking about all of that but first where we typically start is uh so w- we're uh where, where are you originally from? I'm from Wisconsin, from Hartford, Wisconsin, which is now about 15,000 people, just a little northwest up there. <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a friend who is from Hartford, for sure. Uh, right on. A, like West Bend, sort of. It is, yeah. I had family in West Bend, went there a lot growing up. And it's a, it has its, like, I don't, you know, when I was little, or maybe I always wanted to like be in some other place, like, wow, like well, I'm in this really small, boring town. But looking back, it enabled me to have a lot of independence at a young age, like just virtually unchaperoned for three months out of the year yeah. in summer. So, yeah, yeah, that's good. yeah, for sure. Well, that's cool. So, um, were you like a big outdoors kid? Definitely. I mean, in the summer, it was like, especially in my like elementary prepubescent years, it was like, I was on my bike, I was at the swimming pool or I was at the library enjoying the air conditioning and renting too many books. Those are like my hot spots, just my triangle all day, all summer. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good cycle though. Uh, yeah. Cycle through the, the various activities. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um, that's, that's cool. Um, yeah, uh, so. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, well, um, I, I remember when I went back to my dad's house, he lives in Mayville now, I found this old journal, you know, not he re-moved to Mayville um, not too long ago. And in it, it said, when I grow up, I want to travel the world and be an actress. And I think that is probably what I wanted to do. I mean, there's a brief stint where I like wanted to be a marine biologist. I think that was like a trendy 90s like, yeah. thing. But um, yeah, I think I wanted to be a performer, but then I also like 
went on with a lot of different, like kind of being too shy. Like, do I deserve to be this performer as I got into my puberty range? But um, yeah, definitely did travel the world, have done some acting. And I think, you know, everything is kind of an act. We put on these performances every day. And once you realize that, you can really just like let yourself be who, whatever embodiment that you want to be. So I think I've kind of, I would, my eight-year-old self would probably be pretty happy with yeah. most of what's happening right now. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Uh, you're living into that. So you're, you're, you've, uh, like, it sounds like you um, accomplished those uh, early uh, aspirations. Um, so, yeah, I guess um, we'll start with the music then. Um, so, yeah, tell me a little bit about, like, uh, what you listened to growing up and just kind of, like, the role music played in your life, like, just when you were younger and how it would eventually become a creative outlet for yourself. Sure, sure. Well, I didn't really super grow up in like a hyper musical family, like where music was always being played by everyone. And, um, but you know, that's okay too. Um, I, my parents definitely did like support it. Like I started playing the drums in fifth grade, started playing piano in fifth grade, and then kind of moved on to the clarinet because I found the percussion section to be very lonely, I think. I was, I, was like the I played clarinet too. So I switched to the clarinet and then um, I, did, I always did a lot of singing, church choirs and stuff. Shifting to high school, I started to you know, revisit my piano lessons and start to take guitar lessons. Um, but primarily I would say I'm pretty self-taught exploratorily <laughs> in guitar and, um, and in songwriting too. I, I went to school for something other than music. So during my college years, it was difficult, I think, for me to balance like the visual art college with trying to work and survive. And so I really started getting back into songwriting around like 2000 and uh, maybe 10, 2010, I started writing again and feeling like the things, the songs that I write, I actually started to like. Like I would write songs when I was little too, and then kind of got away from it, revisited it, and a lot of the songs that I wrote, I never liked, never. I think that's what everyone does. You write a lot of stuff and then like pick one thing that you want to focus on. And then I um, started a band called Slight Ghost with two other people, a flute player and another guitar player. Mm. That was around 2012, I think. And then Dust started in 2015. So that's pretty much the sure. condensed timeline. <laughs> sure. So you've always kind of had, uh, like, it sounds like, considering those some of the similarities in like the non-conventional aspect of the instruments it sounds like you've gone for a very like orchestral sound almost with the pop indie pop stuff yeah I suppose it kind of happened organically that way um you know I always just started out really as like a solo just writing songs to like challenge channel my emotions and I think I really enjoyed poetry in high school and creative writing so just being able to take my like poems and make them into songs and kind of figure out like, what's the structure of a song and why are songs good, you know? And then just <clears throat> keeping my authentic emotions involved kind of started to make songs that I think other people were able to be like, yeah, I could, I could support you on this and like, get yeah. on this. And that was like such a fascinating thing to have someone else yeah. be like, I will volunteer my time to work on music with you and then all of a sudden like five people were doing it with me and so 
yeah, right. it's not an adventure. <laughs> yeah, I, I dig that. But people are like, like digging that you're putting twists to it, you know, <laughs> like I, and I like that. I like that a lot. Like I, I mean, I'm a sucker for experimental pop music, you know, and uh, any way you can like just bend the, the pretenses of like what is considered like, you know, accessible or catchy or otherwise like what you feel is good um, and bend that in all kinds of unique and eccentric ways <laughs> is so, so fascinating. And uh, like, I mean, there's all, and experimental music has always been a thing. It definitely has been. But I feel like just like in the last year, like I've, I took quarantine, a lot of time in quarantine to just really go down Spotify rabbit holes of finding all kinds of weird, neat shit. Like there's <laughs> so much, there's just there's yeah. so many artists that are really like, and bands that are just pushing such cool creative boundaries like that. Yeah, I totally would agree with you. And also like, I, I kind of realized from a similar discovery um, with going down this, this rabbit hole that not all like music that is good is popular and not all popular music is good. Yeah. So like oh, yeah. <laughs> when you can find like that little gem of music and be like, why does this only have 45 views? That's insane. But it's still like such a treasure. Yeah. And I think that the artists will be most appreciative like for any, uh, hopefully for any amount of people connecting with their art, but. <laughs> totally. Oh my God, yeah. Um, we see that here in Milwaukee. Some of my favorite and most, my mind has been blown most by some bands and and artists or some bands and projects that, you know, really haven't gotten past the DIY scene, you know? Right. Or you stumble, but you stumble upon it and it's like, it impacts you so much. Like I remember stumbling upon a performance like over on the beer line once. And now every time I bike down the beer line, I'm like, I remember that time as if like I was in that space. Like, again, like I'm going through a cloud of memory, you know, and how much it impacted me. So I think that's like an amazing thing that art affords us and that people give us when they create art <laughs> of any kind, really. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, especially because, and on that note, just the way like you associate music with like memories and nostalgia and that kind of stuff in that way, like it's potent, really is. Um, so tell me about how Dust formed, you know, like what was kind of the, the, the inception? Okay, yeah, actually, <laughs> I was living in this like little apartment on Holton, like a attic apartment, not even, maybe not even legal to live there. I don't know. <laughs> but I just was looking out the window and I was tinkering around on my guitar and I started writing a song and I was like, wow, this is kind of like catchy. And I was in the, this um, theater company at the time with another person who happened to play music. And I was like, what do you think, you, think you want to work on this song with me? And that was a guitarist that's no longer in the state or singing with us. But he um, and I started playing together, his name was Glenn. And then um, Glenn and I, well, I met, we would mostly just play as a duet as in the beginning. And he was only really around for like three months of dust. Um, and when I was teaching one of my yoga classes at that time at the Pink House, I met my now best friend, Trina, and she's a violin player. And 
you know, kind of like both awkward meeting, just like, oh, okay, bye, we know this. And yeah. I don't know, we decided to meet and it just kind of clicked. And so then we had three members. Um, Glenn then moved to Boston and my partner now, spouse, um, who I was actually quite terrified to play music with at the time and just kind of thought, maybe this is a bad idea, you know, yeah. maybe right. I'm too vulnerable. I'm not ready to um, incorporate him into that part of my life. But then he joined and it was just, he's just done so much to amplify our music and to like help me work parts out of the song or write duets with or whatnot. Um, so it was, so it's Aton, Trina and um, myself. And uh, we've had several drummers. The drummer that was on the album with we, was a longtime friend of Aton um, and he now has a baby as well as Trina. So we play with them a little less now, but they're still like close friends and, um, hopefully collaborators again soon and then yeah. tommy actually the tuba player as you mentioned our bassist he wandered into truly spoken cycles one day and again another just like oh we play the tuba we do this band and now he's also like one of our best friends was in our wedding oh. and everything so oh, <laughs> where'd the uh where'd the name come from oh where'd the name come from well originally it was d-u-s-t dust and i think it's just an allusion to how we're all like star stuff and also we're all temporary and a lot of the songs kind of touch on the on like the temporary illusionary aspects of life and um yeah i guess it, and i changed it to dust with a z mostly for like searchability and also it's just yeah a little bit more yeah. memorable i think i don't know <laughs> it does come right up like uh, in the search bar which is kind of cool <laughs> it kind of also alludes to like you know of the internet generation millennials we have so much like slang and that we have incorporated on the internet and like different alternative spellings um so i think it's kind of like a symbol of the generation of the times as well <laughs> sure, sure sure yeah um yeah i i, I can get behind that for sure um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, like, so what was your first show uh, as Dust? Oh, taking me down memory lane. Our first show was at my friend Kelsey's apartment on the east mm. side. And it was really great. It was intimate. And like, it was one of those shows where people were there to listen. And there might have only been like 15, 20 people there. But I just, it's really vivid in my mind. Got a lot of nice feedback that day. And um, that was our, yeah, that was our first show as a trio, Glenn, Trina, and I, back in 2015 or 18, was it? No, 15, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 16, 16 got it. <laughs> Accessing information. Oh yeah, time all blends together, especially yeah. these days, you know? So, I, yeah, well, cool. Um, so yeah, um, so I saw y'all uh, at that high dive show. And so, and I know like you and uh, your partner uh, moved, were in India for a while. Um, so what like, when, so when you, when you left um, Milwaukee, when you, when you moved across the world, um, which I'm excited to hear about. Um, <laughs> so like, I guess, like, what did you feel like at the time was the fate of the project moving forward? Yeah, well, before, um, to rewind, we kind of were in this, like, lifestyle where we would um, travel a lot in winter and, like, colder times and then come back to Milwaukee, like, half of the year or 
varying amount of months. And that this time, the last time we were in India were for seven months, we were kind of going there to both study yoga, but also to just share our music with people and hoping to do some recording, which we did find a place in Mysore to do recording. And, you know, it was kind of, of course, unexpected when COVID hit, we were still recording and trying to produce and it kind of all, you know, put a halt to it. Um, <clears throat> so we thought we were going to be coming back and just like launching the album and doing a bunch of shows all that summer, which is not what happened. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't, I feel like I always am reminded of that quote, like, it doesn't matter how fast you go as long as you do not stop. And I think editing it, you can stop. You can stop and pick it up, but just keeping the momentum and knowing like having a date and timeline is really helpful. But also I didn't want it to turn into something where it's like, why isn't the album out yet? Like I'm a failure, you know, I'm just taking something joyful that I'm trying to share and making it like a stressful thing. So <laughs> there's no like current album timeline, but I did get a nice new computer now, finally, and we're trying to kind of share gradually this this pile of tracks that we have. <laughs> I think like this album now, I kind of feel a little bit like the songs are, they're still relevant to me and I'm, and a lot of people haven't heard them, but I'm kind of on, there's like two albums now that could probably be released because it's kind of yeah. on backstock or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're stockpiling. Oh, yeah. new songs like in addition to some of the older ones for yeah. sure i'm and hoping I, to get the whole thing out or more slowly releasing throughout the spring and summer <laughs> yeah well i'm gonna pull up um the uh songs you do have up um which you released about a year ago um so yeah, I guess I'd love to hear just a little bit about like kind of what these songs are about from your point of view. Um, Ritual, we'll start with. Uh, tell me about that song. Sure, yeah, Ritual. Um, this I would kind of consider like a, a protest song in a way, like the song I wrote, I started writing in Arizona coming back from a trip to Thailand and you know, full transparency, we were staying with my partner's parents and things were not going well. And this, the way that that generation kind of approaches life and not trying to blame anyone's parents or anything, but just the way that society was, that we were born into kind of feels like a lot of the, the ritual and like the tradition is like being sucked out. And so I guess this is song about like being kind of oppressed in a way by society, but also like there's hints of like prevailing and um, it's like an, an angry song, a frustrated song in a ways, um, but kind of like the rap portion at the end, as I call it, I don't know if it's exactly rap, but the, the rap portion kind of alludes to like, you can't oppress us and like we will prevail kind of type of thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All power to the people. Exactly. <laughs> of yeah, people always win. Definitely. Um, yeah, and I, I I appreciate those sentiments a lot. You know, it's sort of the, just that, like you said, it is kind of a um, some generational tension for sure. You know, where there is anger, like there is off, there's, can ultimately be found optimism in a lot of ways. 
um, yeah. which we try to hold on to as leftists for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell me about temporary. I really like this song. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I dig the song a lot. <laughs> Um, I wrote this song, I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was working in Thailand in Chiang Rai at this like, um, as a yoga teacher um, at this place called New, New Life Foundation. And it's a place for people who, um, you know, need recovery from everything from addiction, loss of a family member, overworking, um, anxiety, stress, anything. And the song, I was just out sitting out in nature and just like, reminded of like the temporary aspects of both the good and the perceived the perceived good and perceived bad of life and how it's all temporary. And it's just a song that helps me kind of evoke more gratitude in myself and um, hopefully like a good reminder to other people too when things are bad that they can turn around and that they will and they always do. Um, yes, yeah, so I guess it's kind of about that. Yeah. <laughs> like that saying this too shall pass which also goes for the good things too you know yeah and, <laughs> not you know, too much that's the song <laughs> yeah yeah um and then come ashore the third track tell me about oh come ashore yeah Eitan wrote that song and um I love this song so much he I sang this song for someone in um India when I was just like beginning my second teacher training there and I remember one of the guys older man maybe in not, I guess not super old but in his maybe 50s or late 40s and he was like kind of crying after and he was like that song is so romantic and I just want to sing it for my wife and I told Eitan that and he never really thought of it as a romantic song but I really think it is quite romantic and it's kind of about like you know just being there for um for someone but I again didn't write the song, so I just I just sing it <laughs> with him. Yeah. Looking at but the lyrics, yeah, they're just so beautiful and kind of like really again a hopeful song. Like I think for me, I always feel when I'm singing it like that he's telling me like it's okay, like you don't have to always like go out and put yourself out to the, the farthest level level. Just come back and you know I will I'll be there to lift you up and I'll be there to support you. It's a supportive song, I feel like. <laughs> It's a cute song, you know, uh, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's like a validating song, you know, it's affirming of, of one person to another. Um, I like that. Yeah, I agree with you. That's well put. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, well, that said, um, so needless to say, um, it's, you know, expectations get entirely thrown off uh, in the last year with yeah. when things are supposed to be out and done. And so, and so I know that you mentioned on Bandcamp that um, uh, that these three songs are part of what was gonna become a much larger like LP. Um, so I'd uh, love to hear a little bit about just kind of like where Dust is at right now with schemes for growth okay yeah we we have um a nice girth of probably maybe 10 more songs or maybe like seven to ten more songs that we want to put on this album 
and then our next album, Aesthetic Aesthetic, will hopefully come out after that. Um, and like, I feel like, yeah, a lot of these songs that are on the album are some of my, like, I guess more early writing. Um, and my, our sound is, you know, we never try to like pin it down. I, I remember Anson Obvious on his blog once wrote, um, music that makes you say, wow, that's different. <laughs> and <laughs> I love it. Shout out to Anson. <laughs> I yeah. think that that is something that will always be true. Like it is as long as its own genre. And so that's yeah. something someone can expect from us is continually like that. We will never really try to be like, that's outside of our genre. Let's not do that. You know, incorporating different instrumentation is something that's really, um, I'm keen to, and a little more R&B hip hop. I've got some more like um, kind of hip hoppy rap songs and also more, another sweet duet with Aton that we just performed on the River West, um, what is it? Public House Memorial, like oh, yeah. open mic two weeks ago. So yeah, we, we did a lot of, fair amount of writing in quarantine and um, hoping that now that we have this computer and that COVID's kind of lightening up, we can work with some more people with overlaying some additional vocals on the other tracks. And then just Aton and I and whoever else we can get to contribute will lay down some of our newer tracks. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, well, it's exciting. I, it sounds like, um, I mean, it sounds like you, you pull from a lot, a pool of different influences and, uh, you know, are bringing on like authentic blend of all of that together into something cohesive, which is dust. And, uh, and I would uh, wholeheartedly agree with Anson. Um, like, it is very different. Like I said, I mean, I, dust was unlike any other project I'd ever seen. And I've, I've seen a lot of bands. <laughs> I've seen a lot of shows. I, <laughs> when shows were still a thing um i was going to like one or two shows a week and uh, there was still nothing like dust um that i found in milwaukee so thank you <laughs> I, yeah i mean i really hope uh you continue um embellishing this dreamscape uh yeah. that you have uh settled yourself as a creative project in Thank you so much. I, that's really great. You know, as a performer, as you probably know, it's like been difficult. You know, you're used to going to shows and and then that whole aspect of the audience is all of a sudden just like gone and there's no shows and there's no launching dates, lunch parties. And it's, yeah, it's been a great time for reflection, but also just like remembering that the music that we make can be for just for our joy and for yeah or sometimes not for joy. Sometimes I'm really sad when I'm singing or like I'm angry and like the best, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for all of the experiences I've had because experience of where, where I felt so alienated or um, just like frustrated have, have usually resulted in some really nice songs. <laughs> so hey, I can always have that. <laughs> that's the best, uh, <clears throat> that's a great way to uh, convey those feelings, definitely. Um, yeah, and like you said, I mean, yeah, it can be cathartic. It can be, or it can be tormenting, depending on what.
what kind of emotions you're working through when you're writing something. It's different for everybody, but the point is, is that it is visceral for you and for, you know, whoever else you're writing with. Like, so yeah, I, I hope to book y'all. Thank you. We're very eager to share more. And this is, this is very motivating to have. I want to, yeah. When shows are, (laughs) of course, when shows are a thing again, like, you know, I, Breaking and Entering is going to be doing a lot of shows. And I specifically want to bring out like just more projects and bands that are just doing things that are very authentic that I think more people should know. And uh, Dots is one of them. So I, I'll get back to you on that. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, another, Ray, another big thing um, that is uh, what makes you who you are is your yoga. Um, I know that it's, it's a very, um, it's just a big component of um, like how you unwind as well as like just how you connect with your surroundings and your spirit and stuff. Um, I'd love to hear kind of just how uh, you got your start with yoga, like just kind of like where it first sparked interest in it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think like I, I did take a bit of yoga in high school in in Hartford and at that time that was quite controversial um, in such a small town, mostly among like a highly Christian family. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, one of my parents at the time took me to a yoga class, like a yin yoga class, really chill meditation class, like with some slow asanas or postures. And in high school, I just remember like feeling so relaxed. And I think for someone that dealt with a lot of like stress and anxiety, as most, maybe venture to guess most high schoolers probably experience, it really like took me to another place. And, um, you know, I, I didn't beyond that have much experience until I was about like in college, about 18. So like 16, I about started 18 and 18 to 21, I started taking some classes at UWM and then the Shambhala Center mm. of Milwaukee as well. <laughs> I, um, it's funny, I, I went to UWM too and uh, I took the intro to yoga class my junior cool. year <laughs> and I shouldn't have taken it at 8 a.m. <laughs> it's too early. I had to like, just to get up and go across campus and <laughs> to do like all that it's like, I'm still waking up. I should have done it like in the mid afternoon or something. Maybe I would have liked it more. I still got an A, but you know. That's good. I feel you. Yeah, like back then, 8 a.m. seemed really late, uh, early to me. And now it seems so late. Like I get up at four now and have for a lot of years now. So, but yeah. back then, eight was just torture. <laughs> Damn, are you going to bed soon or something? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I do go to bed early, but it's only 540 then. <laughs> that's i mean my my dad my my dad wakes up at like five every day it's quiet it's the brahmin hour you know it's a time where you can really think because all the minds most of them are resting and the spaces are quiet yeah Yeah. around but yoga in that sense is is well practiced anytime you know eventually it becomes integrated into your life that it's nearly inescapable and you don't really want to escape it but I think um some of my most popular classes as a teacher have been like the afternoon classes when people just need a lunch break and they need to recenter themselves 
Um, yeah, so you can practice anytime. Noon is fine. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm sure, I'm totally sure you can. I just I just uh, it's just like knowing that I was just doing it for a grade wasn't very organic. <laughs> You're like, grow up. You're like, me, all right. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, kind of just groan every time we do a new stretch and yeah, but um do you uh do you drink coffee? I I do enjoy coffee. I take definitely like weeks, even sometimes years off from drinking coffee. Like in India, coffee wasn't really a thing for me. Chai tea was. Huh. So yeah, I find that I'm I have a hard time regulating my coffee usage. So I need to like drink like a tiny, this is water, but like a tiny bit versus like when I got back to America, I was drinking like two pots of coffee. And I'm like, no, we need to cut this right off. Yeah, It's a different lifestyle change, I tell you. It's like going from living in, in Asia and living here, completely different worlds, as you might know. So I think I was slamming it a little bit hard. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, I drink a lot of coffee. I drink like three cups a day or so. But I feel like coffee is just, you know, like like you said, it's it's uh, it's a lot more um, strong and potent in different areas in the world. Um, yeah. Like Arab coffee is quite the uh, pick me up uh, <laughs> for sure. Um, just curious because you know, I was wondering if like that is uh, a method of your uh, daily routine, if you will. I mean, I try to use like water and, and breathing and just like finding what my general energy level is, which is usually me cutting out of co cutting out coffee and just finding like after I go through the, you know, the weaning process, finding what my, my actual energy level is. And then just kind of balancing that out with water and rest and my yoga practice. And then I just find like, I need coffee less because the prana is flowing, you know, it's there. Yeah. And it's, I think I find myself using coffee so much more other than like the, like the slightly social aspect and the sharing of the drinking of it. If I'm just pushing myself too hard, which our society definitely mm. advocates for and even praises as you know, I'm sure are well aware of. Capitalism is a bitch. Yes. <laughs> yep. I. It's more than just an economic model. It's also a mindset. It's also a. It instills a productivity complex. Um, as it does. I think. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Which is for another day. We to get. It's so much to. That's that's another rabbit hole to get into. But. Yeah. Um. So you. So college is when you really started getting more into it is what you're saying yeah really more around like 21 I was shifting into not being able to sit still at all to like having a regular meditation practice and then when I was 28 I had been practicing yoga pretty like kind of exponentially you know you start out and then it just you learn more it becomes more integrated in your life and when I was 28 I went to Indonesia to become a yoga teacher through my training program and then just from then I just kind of um I left my nine to five job at the Shepherd Express which had its beautiful times but also was just pretty toxic and I wanted to like see that there was more a different lifestyle for me and um one that was more authentic maybe not easier in some ways but I'm really glad I did I, I left 
yeah, in 2015, I left that job to become a yoga teacher and have been, well, it's been my main source of sustaining myself since then. So I'm very happy that I, I did that. <laughs> Great. Good. Good. Um, so obviously it's, it's something you do every day. Um, do you do it like multiple times a day? Like, what is your like routine? Like I, it really like, um, I do practice every day and I find myself using the techniques also like, you know, off the mat into the world, breathing techniques, especially. Um, but yeah, I practice in the morning, breathing, pranayama and seated meditation, just taking quiet without any screens or any outside stimuli to kind of check in with myself. Um, and then depending on if it's like a, a new or a full moon, which I don't usually practice a lot of physical asanas on, then I do um, any sort of either a, a sequence like Ashtanga or um, 26 and 2 Bikram Hatha, or I really enjoy creating my own sequences. And now that it's kind of like also with music, once you learn a lot of the parts, you can take the parts that you already know and make your own masterpiece. And I just some days let myself flow from without any sequence, like there's an anatomy of the class ingrained and just kind of give my body and my mind what it needs for any duration yeah. um and i've definitely done stricter practices like especially in training where it's like two hours in the morning we do this then we do this and it's like an all-day thing which is really amazing for transformation too but on a daily basis like a morning and an evening practice of some kind and an afternoon like check-in is usually necessary yeah. um you know, when I'm at the computer or doing something, I just, you know, get sucked in and I have to like yeah. break out of my little world right. and just see the bigger picture. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, uh, open your chest. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Where you, you just, uh, you reclaim your posture and whatnot for sure. Um, I only say that because that's, I, this is a phrase that I definitely, uh, was attached to uh, when I was doing <laughs> yoga for sure. Um, so, how are you operating as a teacher today? I um, in June when we got back, I started just teaching private lessons to previous students um, and friends of friends in my little shala. I call it inner high, inner high yoga shala, and so that was a capacity of about three people. So it was me and about three students at a time, five or six days a week. <clears throat> which really kind of got me through the quarantine. I think got them through the quarantine as well and kind of just helped me have this, you know, different perspective of teaching because previously it had been a lot of uh, large classes with, you know, 10 or maybe even like um, seven to 25 people and always, you know, different people, some, a lot of regulars, but so like hundreds of people a week in Milwaukee or wherever I was teaching abroad. Um, to shrinking down to really getting to know every single one of my students and making it a real like goal of mine to get to know every single student, know their practice and help them individually. And so I then expanded to teaching six people a week in the move to a different bigger space. And now this week I moved to another space. Not sure what the capacity is gonna be yet, but um, we got a little spot here on Booth and Center where Inner High lives now for the time being and maybe a storefront um studio someday we have a little side door now but uh yeah looking forward to it once we can open up here soon and uh 
You can even come by for a class on me if you want. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> you'll do it not just for a grade. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would that would be uh, once again. I need to kind of like re uh, reframe my my idea of yoga for sure. <laughs> and um, so inner high. Uh, that's what it's called. Um, mm -hmm. I like that. Uh, where'd you come up with that? You know, like most things, they come to me. <laughs> like these ideas, they good wordplay. Come in to me. Yeah. Come on in. Doors, doors open. <laughs> doors open. Come on in. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, um, sometimes I can track the exact moment when it happened, and a lot of times these ideas happen like on airplanes or my bicycle. I don't know the exact moment I came up with inner high, but I do know that it just like alludes to we're always, you know, people always are searching for external stimuli to make them feel elevated, to make them feel connected to something. And it kind of alludes to the fact that you can create that sense of peace yeah. or elevation or highness completely naturally just by some techniques and consistency and practice. And so that's kind of what it alludes to. And, and maybe I think also <laughs> to new students, they can see like, oh, inner high, like people that know nothing about prana or kundalini can be like, oh, I'm going to feel that high from within. Like, I don't have to go to a bar or go this place yeah. and kind of want to yeah. grab people in a little bit. An organic euphoria and sense of closure and clarity. Yeah. Love that. So, um, great. Thanks. Welcome. Um, <laughs> awesome. Uh, so then I guess I'd love to talk about your art and photography. Uh, so sure. yeah. Uh, so were you like much of like a, um, like a, a expressive person in, in that sense, like growing up, you know, when you were younger? Definitely. Definitely. <clears throat> I think going back to like creative writing, I really feel like I, I thrived in writing stories, um, like making books, making poems. I made a lot of poetry books with illustrations growing up. And um, yeah, I always enjoyed drawing and kind of fantasized about, you know, being a good painter. And again, I didn't grow up in a family where this was necessarily like paramount, like, oh, we think you should go to college for art. Like, cause it kind of still seemed, I think a little bit crazy to, people, but I did go to college for art to become a graphic designer. Um, and I did that in a certain capacity for a lot of years until I kind of felt like um, an art machine, like being kind of drained of, of that sort of energy for pay. And so I, I still love graphic design. I use it, my skills in that for like inner high and for soon for truly spoken my partner's business and for dust and all that but I think this is Zolta is the project that kind of came to me in a way where it combined kind of like my fashion background with like an internship I had and I did modeling for several years in my 20s and it kind of made me kind of channel this passion for like painting and and not only that but like upcycling things and taking what we have and creating something that doesn't have to die off right away, that doesn't create a lot of waste and can also be accessible for everyone, like a wearable piece of art that is for any gender, any age. So that's kind of a long-winded answer to, yes, I was creative as a child. And 
now that's what I do. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, you did kind of um, uh, tell the rest of the story, uh, which, <laughs> you know, saved me another question. Get me started. <laughs> no, that's good. Makes my job easier. Um, cool. Um, so do you like, do you like take uh, commissions at all or? Yeah, I haven't really, I would take commissions. I have mostly just like had ideas and then applied them to garments and sold them or kept them. Um, but yeah, when I was in Goa, I actually, um, in India where I was one of the places I was living, I uh, did a mural, kind of took it off the, the, the garment and made it, did a mural. I did one also when I was living in Vietnam. So that's something that like that kind of commissioning or clothing commissioning, or really anything you want me to paint on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'm super open to. For sure. Do you like have uh, um, garments and apparel? Like if someone wants, see something they like on your Instagram or something, like you have stuff like for sale right now? I do have stuff for sale on Instagram. The large portion of it is not on Instagram, but um, is either sold or being made. Or is way on my new website, which is bisazolta.com, which is not released yet, but the, the format is all up. Just take some images and some more things on there, and um, that will be up soon enough. I tried to do the Depop thing for a while, um, but I, they know they charge commissions, and um, just wasn't the platform for me at the time. So Instagram yeah. is a nice place because I can just connect with the person, and there's no commission really. It's just me yeah. directly sending it. Yeah. Soon a website though. Cool. <laughs> So, so um, thematically, like in your art, like the imagery, the concepts, the statements you make and stuff, like what are some things that inspire you in your creations? Well, currently I kind of define this Zolta as like spiritual surrealism um, and like vaporwave is kind of something that really oh, hits yeah. me at home. Like hyper reality. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I like to incorporate that and just like symbolism, geometry, um, kind of making my own type of sacred geometry in, in ways. And um, of course, like the spirituality and the metaphysical always slip in there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> I'm into that for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. I'll be uh, revisiting uh, your Instagram for sure to to kind of like analyze more of that kind of stuff for sure um thank you thank you ben <laughs> some real fucking talented people out here i'll tell you like i've spent a lot of money this last year redistributing just to get my hands on some shit like some people i know made you know like yeah just because you know it's it's important you know that's why i do so many of these episodes so yeah, it's really beautiful what you do and it, it's helpful to like show people who's ever watching the viewers or people that are aspiring to allow themselves to become who they want to be can see that they're you can be from any city any place and like have talent you don't have to be from new york or la to share your talents <laughs> thank you Ray. and that's something i learned from traveling i think too is like people don't really care where you're from necessarily as much as they care about how you are in that moment and the most rewarding parts that have come from me from traveling is sharing something authentic music or a yoga class or an idea visually 
that has some sort of impact on someone where they've come up and verbally given me like a thank you or an affirmation or this made meant this to me xyz and that's what kind of keeps me going and i think it probably keeps a lot of people in milwaukee going to feel yeah. supported <laughs> oh yeah it certainly does for me too um and what better way to preserve that than with community bring together the various facets of what makes our community beautiful and craftful and awesome um definitely so the last thing i wanted to touch on um is india what enticed you uh to to move out there originally well let's see i went went there last november 2019 we went there and i think what enticed me was just that i had been practicing you know yoga for a lot of years before i went there and felt like, you know, as a practitioner and a teacher, it would help me to go see the origin of this um, practice and, and like the impact that India and living in a different place can have on a person is just something that is, or, or any real country that you visit, I suppose, um, is kind of something invaluable for me. And um, so, yeah, I think just seeking to learn more and to live a different life and challenge myself to get beyond my comfort zone um, and just, yeah, go for it. And also financially, like, I'm gonna be honest again, I'm in a lot of student loan debt and I feel like, you know, I could either be depressed about it or I could not allow these companies to win or the system to win by finding a way around it. And so, you know, I started teaching ESL online, started teaching yoga, which is something that like transfers to any place and music transfers to any place and just kind of trying to fuel my own fires. And it may seem like, wow, that person has a lot of, you know, irons in the fire or whatever. But to me, it's all one thing. It's just like the channels that I um, kind of inject my creativity into and it comes like naturally and my brain just kind of works that way and um, going abroad allows me this lifestyle where I can have a higher quality of living for like less money. Mm -hmm. And so I could pay my loan with actually living on way less money that I live on here. And India kind of allowed me, I mean, don't get me wrong, the teacher trainings are not cheap, but aside from kind of saving for that, something that was like really meaningful, like deepening my knowledge, it just, it allows me and my partner and a lot of people travel a quality of life that they don't necessarily have here in the United States. So that's kind of what drew, drove me there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, cool. For sure. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, yeah, like that all being said, um, what were some of your like biggest takeaways and things you learned about yourself while you were out there? What are some of the biggest takeaways? Um, yeah, how much there is to learn. <laughs> How it's little intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how like little we can have and still like how you can have less and still be happy. Um, and I'm not trying to diminish like, like being in poverty or anything like that um, because everyone should have, be able to like support themselves um, and, and be able to be allotted right. um, basic needs and all that. Basic human rights. Right. Yeah. Basic yeah. Yeah. But um, you can be happy with less. And I've, 
I've learned to be content and just find joy in like the smallest things, both there and then returning here. That's like definitely been a huge takeaway for me. Um, what else can I say? Let's see, a lot to learn. Um, I guess, yeah, the, I also every time I travel, just that family is everywhere. And that someone that doesn't necessarily completely connect with my like conservative relatives because I've come more into like accepting myself in more of a androgene non-binary identity you know I changed my name and all that and there's people out there in the world that will accept you and become your family um just not upon first meeting and like-minded people are out there and it's amazing how quickly you can make connections with them yeah oh yeah totally that's that's a beautiful thing it's the power of love it you is know? it's universal um yeah what was so like what was like um your living situation like out there um well like the, when we first arrived we lived in goa um which is in um let's see north south north south never eat shredded wheat okay west india west the west coast and we lived like for our training the first month we were in like a bamboo hut on a beach which is like the closest i've ever lived yeah on a beach just like we can hear the waves God, you know, that's awesome. That's so cool. Just walk to the beach every morning, noon, and night. This, um, I would love like, that. Honestly, it's a dream. I you can do it if you want to try. You can go and do it. I will. I will go do it. No, maybe eventually. Me, I will. <laughs> maybe eventually. Yeah. And other times we lived in like um, like a little when we moved to Mysuru, Mysuru or Mysore, we lived in an apartment. And it was really cute, um, really small. And a lot of, we had a cat that just met us and would let itself in our house and even sleep in our bed. She was pregnant. So we oh. let it happen. And we named her Shakti Girl, which is like the, the feminine energy, the Shakti. So yeah, that was really special. A lot of goats and like just animals everywhere when you're living in India. Goats, like horses. And we get back to America, we're like, what are we going to do with our food scraps? Like we used to just right. feed these to a goat and now we have to like throw them away or like compost them? Like, can I just give them to oh. an animal? <laughs> God, I would love that too. God, that's, that's <laughs> it sounds so like utopian from like a, from a ecosystem perspective, for sure. Everything does live more in like that, you know, that circle map where everything's together and the humans yeah. there rather than being at the top. Definitely more like that in a lot of ways um time works differently there too <laughs> like saying you're gonna be somewhere at like um eight o'clock a.m doesn't necessarily mean you're there at 7 55 you could be there at 8 30 or yeah. nine o'clock and that's still considered like on time <laughs> oh interesting okay i think about that i would that would suit me really well out there <laughs> sure definitely i'm definitely late a couple minutes to most things for sure um, so that's good um wow well that's lovely um do you 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 want to go back you miss it you know i would go back um we actually did get trapped there and so like aside from most of most indian people and expats being super loving and like making a lot of friends and family like that was a time where sort of the energy shifted and so I really wouldn't necessarily go back there until COVID, like until I have the vaccine, until COVID's more yeah. handled there, because it was kind of scary. You know, there were food lines. You know, there was limited internet. Like 
here we have unlimited internet. Like I was trying to work online, you know, and also trying to save some internet time to like call family. And it's not like you can just use the internet forever. Like it goes away and it comes, it breaks out a lot and your phone will get canceled at any time. Like oh, a lot of people that have been to India, it's either like mother India is very blissful or mother India teaches you some hard lessons. And these things happen kind of like simultaneously throughout yeah. the day. <laughs> right. Depends on what mood she's in. Or yeah, having hot water again, like coming back to America and having like hot water and a bathtub is like the best part of America. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah that, that that never gets old for sure. Um, well, it sounds like it, a beautiful um, odyssey of you just doing something to challenge not only yourself but what's expected of you, and like both spiritually and like socially, and you know just really getting yourself out of like the westernization um you mentioned the student loans and how that's just such a like haunting subconscious detractor of a lot of people's dreams you know and to be able to just you know put yourself somewhere that you could perceive all of the issues that you had like or all of the the way the, the things that like might have held you back while you were living here, still in the US, like to be able to be in a completely different um, face of the earth and uh, like just reevaluate everything like in your life, like from that perspective has to be truly eye opening and truly invigorating and just like really brings you closer to your your core than ever um it's unfortunate that not not as many people that's such a like far-fetched dream of so many people because we're a lot of us are poor you know the working class like our dreams are suppressed honest a lot of people owe it to ourselves but they just can't do it because it's just so fucking unaffordable yeah i mean i sold my car to, to go to go to bali when i went to bali yeah. two hundred dollars left after paying for my teacher training i lived in an attic apartment you know i definitely made a lot of sacrifices to do that and um and i consider myself rich like non-monetarily because i just let yeah. the idealist in me win and like never i kind of like held myself to the standard that you will like prevail you have to and just kept manifesting and like and the universe I feel like is there to support us if we just keep you know keep at it and manifest and like it's not going to be without obstacles but the thing that yoga has taught me is that we're just become better at dealing with these obstacles and um in large ways like the ones you're speaking of and also like in small ways like when I'm when I was so sick in India that I thought I was like gonna die but I just recalled my breathing and my presence with my breath. And in that way, like yoga has like saved my life so much. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Like, so where is a place in the world you want to go that you haven't been? Oh, a place I want to go that I have not been. I want to revisit a lot of the places I've already been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, let me think. I really want to go back to Bali or back to Indonesia and go to like Nusa Penida. I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, but when I was there, it was for a month and it was largely within like um, 
like my training aspect and there was only about a week where I could go explore so I just think that it's just such a unique culture Bali being Hindu versus surrounded by Muslim islands um it's like the only full Hindu island and just such an amazing place I would I would probably go back to Bali but somewhere I'd, I guess I I've never been I really want to go to South Korea um to I really love k-pop and k-pop dance I, I mean I just I don't have borders when it comes to music love loving different music and k-pop really like is so despite its dark you know industry it's so uplifting and just like unabashedly catchy and like positive in so many ways so I was going I was supposed to be there to study some k-pop dance and visit a friend so if if COVID ended I would also like to go there because I was supposed to go there <laughs> and didn't get to <laughs> I hope you get to do it I don't want to do something like oh yeah that'd be that'd be that'd be super fun um Great. Uh, well, thank you so much, Ray, for joining me today on the show. Um, love talking to you about the various things that uh, you <laughs> um, uh, that you indulge in to help connect with yourself, like inwardly as well as externally, with the world around you, with your community, with metaphysical, like just in so many different ways, you know, I, I know that you are really like, uh, it just sounds like you have, like, just a lot of different ways to like, you know, express your thoughts, feelings and ideas. And, and yeah, it just it just gives it, it, when you live your life like that, you just constantly like, find meaning in one place to another. You know, you find meaning and senses of belonging and senses of clarity in just so many different avenues. And that just makes life worth fucking living, man. So life is but, meaningless until we give it meaning. So, uh, you oh, know, yeah. we can't let the, the dark side supposed to like, like beat us out, you know, and that's it's an everyday battle a lot of times. Um, but it's a battle worth fighting and um to just be joyful and allow ourselves to express ourselves so <laughs> thank you for talking to me today yeah, thank you for shout, listening shout out to existentialism <laughs> um i i wholeheartedly agree with that philosophy um yeah so as we're closing out um i ask everyone the same two things uh first is what keeps you up at night what keeps me up at night hmm <laughs> I sleep pretty well to be honest but yeah um I guess yeah sometimes just the struggle you know my financial things you know can keep me up at night but um and just knowing like the inherent inequalities that more than I even face like that people face every day it's really sad that you can't help everyone um but that's why I kind of, I kind of let go of being able to help everyone and just try to help the people around me. And it kind of lifts the weight a little bit and also, yeah, keeps you reminding you that like, you can just contribute in the small way that you can contribute and it will be helpful. And um, so that kind of helps me sleep, I guess, after that, you can't change everything yourself, but you can be a small piece in it. <laughs>
once you develop class consciousness, you never get unconscious of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, what puts you to sleep? <sighs> My day is exhausting. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what I, I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> I like, I, yeah, I have a busy day usually, like not too busy in the way that I can't take space. But um, I think I exert enough every day mentally and physically that I really, once I hit the pillow, like I'm out. And if I'm having stress, I always have my nightly bath and some breathing exercises <laughs> to kind of carry me into the evening, I guess. Oh, that sounds good. Man, I, I need to take more baths. You That's, need to. When yeah. you, once you don't have a bath, you're like, I need to go use my bath. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show, joining me tonight. This is great. Loved it. Thank you. I know I don't get to do this much and it makes me feel like it's almost like um, maybe COVID's ending and we're almost like on the brink of that beautiful world of shows and sharing community face-to-face -face soon. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that. I feel it hard. Um, for everyone watching, uh, check out Dust. Um, uh, check out uh, Schemes for Growth, uh, which is on, part of it is on Bandcamp, but more to come soon. More soon. Uh, yes. And then uh, check out Inner High Yoga uh, over here, <laughs> River West. And uh, I'll be tagging a link to Ray's uh, art page so you can check out all of their wonderful crafts and <laughs> accessories and whatnot. And uh, Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy, as always. We'll see you next Thank time. Thank you so much, Ben.